Today's episode contains explicit language and conversations around sex, human anatomy, menstruation, and personal experiences. We advise that you don't listen to this in the company of little ones or anyone who may be uncomfortable with these topics. Hey, sugars, come on in and take a seat. You're listening to The Honey Potluck, a podcast about sex, health, and thriving. I'm your host, B. Dixon, co-founder and CEO of The Honey Pot Company. And I'm your other host, Javon Alfieri, The Honey Pot's director of digital. Ooh, now let's dig in. Welcome back to The Honey Potluck. I'm Beatrice Dixon. How you doing, Gigi? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk about sex today. Sex education, <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> Always. It shows you where our mind lives. It, it does. And I think also having like a third, uh, no, you know, I guess really with Zoe Ligon, our guest today was just such a great way for us to get into all of the things that constitute sex. And yes. also I think the the reality of like the lapse in sex education. Do you remember like learning about sex or sex ed? Like what was it like? I think that I maybe had a couple of hours of sex education, but my mother was like the mom that was embarrassing. And I remember, (laughs) I remember like being out to eat with my mother and my friends and my stepdad and my mom being like, So how do you guys masturbate? Mind you, maybe I'm 16 or 17 years old. Do you remember her description of it or like what or or how they synthesized that information for you? (laughs) She censored it by saying that it was really important for us to know how to take care of ourselves sexually, what we liked, what we didn't like, you know, and she just wanted to make sure that me and my friends who were at the table were keeping what was special to us, just making sure that we understood that because she knew, you know, at this point I had started being sexually active and, you know, my mother didn't want me to put my pleasure to the side, which I think is beautiful. I think that's so beautiful and such a great lesson to learn at a young age. And I actually think is in obvious alignment with Zoe Zoe's work because she deems herself as a peer educator. And to be a peer educator in sex means that you have to have some kind of deep bridge or connection with the humans that you're talking about, much like you have with your mommy, of course. Um, and so I think that that's such a powerful angle that she takes is like, how are we demystifying these conversations in a way that you feel comfortable going to the depths, much like we do in this conversation? Mm. Yeah, and I, I agree. And I think I think that one of the biggest things that I want to learn from this conversation is how to die to the fear or the yeah. shame that can come along with that, you know? With pleasing yourself, because that's like a that's a self devotion and self love thing that I think is really important. But not every human would look at that the same way. What What do you want to learn? Well, I, I mean, I'm going to piggyback on that for just a hot second. And I think what's so interesting is, as you know, I was a preschool teacher in a past life, which is very random given my current yeah. existence, but also so you know, I guess deeply aligned with like my passions and what I care about in the world. And I feel like there's just so much to learn from the purview of children. But one thing that I didn't realize is that, you know, masturbation happens quite early in in humanhood and it's a soothing technique. So I had this little boy in my preschool class 
who would like stroke his penis no. <laughs> before nap time. And, you know, of course, like there are also social ana- or social parameters where, you know, while I want him to have those soothing techniques and feel empowered to, to masturbate at some point in his life, uh, you can't do that in a classroom of kids trying to go to sleep. Like it's curvy, right. you know? Yeah. But it was such a great awakening in so many ways because I realized that I didn't necessarily have like the language, the expertise or what have you to quote unquote course correct him or divert his energy. But what I did learn is that not only is it self-care to what you said, but it also is very much like a soothing technique. Like being able to release that amount of cortisol um, is so important. But yeah, it's a, it's a terribly uncomfortable conversation because we're also talking about a four-year-old. So you're like trying not to sexualize them either. Like, yeah, your kid's jacking yeah. off at school. Like, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't exactly. that. It was just like, hey, your, your child has this technique that within the, these four walls of, of the school is not appropriate. So right. I think what I'm, you know, and I guess coming full circle in terms of what I'm really, really eager to learn about alongside Zoe is, you know, where she's taking sex education. I know that she, you know, is deeply passionate about the entertainment component as a way to create these bridges and really like minimize the shame. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm also interested in like what she knows about the vagina, the G-spot, the things Mm -hmm. that maybe you and I don't know about it yet and we're still learning. So I think I'm really eager to dig in there. Let's do it then. Let's go for it. I am so excited to introduce our guest today, Zoe Ligon. Zoe is the owner of Spectrum Boutique, an adult toy shop with a focus on sex positivity and education. The self-proclaimed dildo duchess is also a sex educator, artist, and the author of Carnal Knowledge, Sex Education You Didn't Get in School. Please enjoy part one of our incredible conversation with Zoe Ligon. You have a podcast voice. Hey, you know, I don't hear that often. So thank you for a voice compliment. No, no problem (laughs) at all. I'm full of compliments. Well, thank you so much for being here today with us, Zoe. We're so excited to have you um, and really excited for this conversation because I think it's going to take multiple turns as it often does. But um, for our listeners, if we could kick off and if you could just give us, from your point of view, a brief introduction about who you are and what brings you to this convo. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. Huge fan of Honeypot. Uh, my name is Zoe Ligon. I am a sex educator uh, and entertainer. I've been calling myself a sex edutainer lately as a result. Um, I own Spectrum Boutique, an online sex toy store. So I also deal in the intimate goods arena. Arena. Arena, yes. And and a year ago, uh, my first book, Carnal Knowledge, Sex Education You Didn't Get in School, came out September 2020. What a a great time to release a book in the middle of a pandemic. Well, about sex. I think that's ideal timing. (laughs) That's a gift. That's what I was going to say. I think that that was like fucking perfect. So can we start by just learning more about why sex education, what that means to you, how you define that, and then alter, like on the kind of flip side of that, entertainment, how do those things marry? How do they kind of become an amalgam of you? Um, so let's hear all the things. I just want to learn more about that. 
For sure. Um, Sex education, I think, for many of us is synonymous with like some random teacher being assigned to talk about contraception and uh, sexually transmitted diseases. And, you know, you're with your classmates and it's awkward uh, in various ways. I think more and more we're learning how sex education is you know, transcends mediums. It can be a book. It can be a Mm -hmm. podcast. It can Mm -hmm. be um, a web series or documentary. It can be like a really amazing conversation with somebody you trust and respect the opinions of. Um, I am by no means certified in anything. I call myself like a peer educator in that sense because I'm going to tell you if I don't know the answer to something. If it seems Mm -hmm. like it's a question more for a therapist, I'm going to say, oh, that's like a great counselor question Um, and certainly no doctor. I think that um, bedside manner is a lot more of a, a skill needed to, yeah. for talking about sex. I mean, it's certainly good to know information. You know, I've gone to see OBGYNs and, yeah. you know, primary care practitioners who've literally called my vulva my hoo-ha. So, yeah. you know, and like I'm of the the mindset that like we should, especially in a medical setting, use the names of the body parts because, you know, I agree. We don't have nicknames for our elbows. Um, I mean, it's such a different context. You can't compare, but actually it's not sister. It's, it's not a different context. (laughs) Um, you know, a vagina and an elbow are both body parts, right? It really isn't a different context. Actually, if it's on our body and half of the planet has one, the shouldn't be weird to talk about. It should be okay, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, so I am in complete agreement with you that bedside manner should make all of these things absolutely normal. STIs, STDs, sex, whatever the conversation is, right? Yeah. All of these things are absolutely normal things. There is nothing abnormal about saying vagina, vulva, right? Yeah. Labia. I think it's so fascinating, though, because both, like, in this context, like, an elbow and a vagina both receive information, right? Both have movement. Both experience both pain and pleasure. Mm -hmm. We're also taught to abandon the elbow, for lack of better words. Like, we're not given the same, even though we we have a name for it, and it's kind of universally accepted, Mm -hmm. and we don't have a nickname for it, much to your point, Zoe. (laughs) um, We still are taught to ignore it. It's really fascinating when you're thinking about it from the framework of education that we've essentially minimized everything about being in our bodies. Yeah. You know, I think what's so interesting about vaginas specifically is the fact that it's internal and it's Mm -hmm. not something you can see with your own two eyes unless, I mean, you know, we're all different, but you know, you're going to need a mirror most of the time to get a really up close eyeball on it. And I, I, there's so many people who've never seen their you know, vaginal opening and vulva with their own two eyes. And honestly, you would need something that would go in there to really see your vagina because your vagina is actually inside of your body. Yes. Can I tell you an embarrassing thing? I've Googled once, like, what it looks like to be menstruating 
because I'm really fat. Like, I want to see it from inside. Like, yeah. the walls kind of right. coming down. Like, I'm mad curious. Like, <laughs> what does it look like? There is no such documentation. Like, it doesn't exist. You know, because oh. I thought, like, to your point, be like a microscopic, like, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Where maybe it could just show you what it looks like from the inside. Because I would love to see it. I've just always been really fascinated Gigi, by how old were you when you looked that up? Girl, this was probably, like, two years. And this was recent. Like, this is... <laughs> Does this not spark curiosity for you both now, too? It totally sparks fucking curiosity. Like, I actually want to know now. We all keep learning. It, like, doesn't matter how long you've been sexually active or had, you know, an eyeball on your vagina or, you know, <laughs> been on this planet. Like, I learn stuff continuously. Yeah. Right. Well, so to, to that point, Zoe, um, so how how have you framed your exploration of sex education without the quote unquote credentials, which both B and I think are bullshit in a lot of ways. But yes. like, you know, are you framing it from lived experiences? Is it sort of a sociological or anthropological investigation? Like, how are you becoming informed? Yeah, I would say as far as like education, I like to speak from personal experience, relating my personal story and using context from my own life. Um, I've certainly learned a lot from other educators, both face-to-face in person or through their books and other education. But this really ties in wonderfully to the entertainment aspect of it. I guess it was about three or four years ago now, I had a web series called Sex Stuff on channel called Super Deluxe, which no longer exists, but it's kind of like a comedy short live action series. And I would try different sex things. And, you know, it was Hmm. not shown on camera. I now do do explicit things on camera in my own time. But for this particular show, it was like, you're going to look at my face while I'm you know, uh, using a yoni egg or something like that. That was just one of the first episodes. But I thought of this also when you were talking about what does it look like when you're menstruating inside of the vagina? And I have done internal vagina exploration or attempted to in two different ways. One is a vibrator, which has a camera on the end of it. Oh, do you sell that? No, because I cannot say I recommend it. It is not (laughs) pleasurable. No. And it's also like it just didn't was not effective. Like if you're inserting a vibrator into your vagina, you're only seeing what's it looks like bubble gum the entire time. You're just seeing or or like whatever or like discharge or like, you know, menstrual blood or like whatever color your labia and vagina are like. So you can see like a hyper close up of your walls. Right. And, and like, you know, there's a bright light shining on it. So you can't see anything mm-hmm. when if you're not being physically, unfortunately, pried open. And that is something you need a speculum for. So yeah. I retried to get an internal look where I used a speculum side to side instead of up and down to open my vagina, look at the G spot, literally. Mm. What was that like? Yeah. <sighs> Look, Giovanna said, yeah. <laughs> A huge fan of my G-spot. Love it. G-spot. Huge fan. Huge fan. Huge fan. Huge fans all around. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because I don't even know who coined this phrase, but a lot of sex educators will say something to the effect of like, the G-spot has the texture of the roof of your mouth behind your front teeth. 
hmm. uh, versus your. Um, so it's like basically saying it's a little bit more like firm and wrinkly versus like smooth and flat in texture. Like it feels that way. Yeah. So honestly, looking at it, same thing applied. I was like, this looks like the roof of a mouth, like, or, you know, or that's the closest thing I could compare it to. But it mm. really is like a spongy, wrinkly, you know, depending on your state of arousal, how uh, engorged your urethral sponge is. Mm. Can you say that? Tell again? me more about it. Can you say that again? <laughs> urethral sponge, <laughs> which is basically like, the G-spot and also the prostate and area surrounding it. It's basically that like area that really puffs up uh, when you're aroused. My relationship to squirt and defending it as like a very outspoken, like, like very early on, there was a phrase I had that was just like, squirt's not pee. And like, now I'm kind of like, you know what? I'm not going to be crusading for what this thing is or isn't. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we are peeing during sex. Yeah. Sometimes we're squirting during sex. Right. It comes out of the same hole, just right. like ejaculation from a penis and urine. Ejaculation from a penis also contains small amounts of chemical composition you would find in urine. Mm. And at the end of the day, and like, I'm also just going to say like, I am a water sports person. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> we're, we're total. I'm totally taking that and applying that to my real Save life. Thank these. you. Save these. I guess I just realized people really love to push my buttons and be like, oh, Zoe, tell us about how square is pee. And then that would inevitably, like, people would be like, well, actually, you're in denial. It's pee. And, and then, like, just the great way to, like, stop that conversation and talk about the more important stuff is being like, cool. Either way, I'm fucking doing it. Either way. Open up. Like... <laughs> Um, so let's, let's backtrack a little bit because like there is the bladder and mm -hmm. there is the urethra, which goes from the bladder to the urethral opening where pee comes out mm -hmm. and squirt is different than vaginal excretions and discharge. And sometimes the vaginal canal is secreting its own uh, lubrication and it's coming out of the cervix or, you know, like where discharge and menstrual blood come out of. Um, but ejaculate is coming out of the urethra as opposed to being an, an excretion of the vaginal canal and uterus, cervix, all that other stuff. So that's where it gets controversial. <laughs> and, um, um, there is a anatomical structure that we can point to for the origination of ejaculate, and it is called the skein's gland. It's mm. essentially a system of ducts along the urethra. Essentially, when you are ejaculating, you are very intensely stimulating the internal urethral sponge, internal clitoris, G-spot area, because it's more of an area than a spot. Mm -hmm. And that entire upper vaginal wall, which is the one that is, you know, I mean, but you can stimulate the spine side as well. But generally, we're, you know, going for the G spot when we're uh, <laughs> wanting to, to go for squirting. And it's a lot of just like intense jostling and thrusting. And obviously, everybody does it a different way. Right. I think those are just some really common motions people will go for. Lots of very intense upward, like almost 90 degree angle 
pressure. And, and I do think that people are are shy to stimulate the G-spot that hard because they're afraid of hurting their partner or themselves. Again, everyone's different. Someone is going to be like, hey, go light on it or just avoid mm-hmm. my G-spot altogether. There are people who exclusively enjoy G-spot stimulation indirectly through the rectum. Basically, We don't really have a whole lot of information to back up these statements other than anecdotal evidence and the very few studies that we do have. So I I highly recommend the book Female Ejaculation in the G-Spot by Deborah Sundahl. I'm not a fan of the fact that it's a gendered title, but the the information in there is fantastic. It is a really step-by-step guide for G-Spot identification locating and then how to stimulate yourself into more of an ejaculation state. Ejaculation is also not an orgasm, although they I can- was just going to say that. I, I feel like for me, and sorry to interrupt you, Zoe, but I feel like for me, one thing that pisses me off a lot is that men think that it's all of a sudden like it shows that they are so good. And that they are providing me <laughs> so much pleasure. And I'm like, dude, this is just my body right. lubricating itself and saying like, okay, like we're ready to receive. Yeah. But much to your point, obviously does not equate an orgasm. So yeah. like don't get too full of yourself yet, you know? Yeah. And so, but that really upsets me because I feel like not only is there the misinformation for, for humans with vaginas, but similarly on the other end, like a man just thinks that that's some kind of like I don't know, but that's some sort of prize that they've won. And it's like, no, this is just my body getting Mm -hmm. prepared for this moment. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's also really fascinating. Yeah. I think that because wetness is one of the few arousal indicators. I mean, Mm. also clits do get erections. They do. Not as like a dramatic of a visual cue as a penis becoming erect. But I think that comes from the visual look of a fluid coming out. But I think it's also, you know, in part our relationship with porn, especially in the past couple years, being indoors all the time, having a lot of our sexual stimuli that we get off on be visual stuff like, you know, shots to the face where it's Mm -hmm. like nobody, I mean, I love shots to the face. Don't get me wrong, but you're not (laughs) stimulating a body part of mine. Right. So what's getting you off is the visual of your on my face or wherever. Right. I feel like that's what squirting also, that's why squirting is this very validating, like, oh, look what I did. Mm -hmm. And same thing with erections. Like, There certainly used to be a time where I was like, oh, they don't like me because they're not erect. Mm. And like, that's such bullshit. If anything, sometimes people like you so much that they can't get erect. Yeah. (laughs) It can be the opposite. And then the same thing with squirting. It's like- It may not happen every time. Maybe you're dehydrated. Maybe you're- Also, like sometimes when something is inserted into your vaginal canal, your urethral opening is blocked off and it just cannot. So that's why you often- See, people will like pull a dildo out or pull a penis out and that's when squirt comes out. Mm -hmm. But everyone's body's laid out differently. Some urethras are not going to be blocked when there's something inserted. You can imagine all the different possibilities. But porn also sets an unrealistic expectation of what it's going to look like. Absolutely. But 
you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? I certainly love porn and don't blame porn and, and instead blame our disconnection from the understanding of how porn is made. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like an act, watching an action movie, you know? It is like watching an action movie. Oh, I like how you put that. I, I love also, like, I don't get to talk about menstruation as much as I'd really like to. So let's talk about it. I think people are afraid to talk about menstruation. Well, let me back up and say, like, as an OnlyFans creator personally, it's like I can't do anything when I'm bleeding, like, because it's fucking censored. Also, pee is censored. And how do they distinguish that from squirting? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. We need to, I, I have to actually double click on this. I know. Menstruation is censored from blood. OnlyFans. Blood, generally speaking, because it implies harm. That is crazy. <laughs> There are weirder things that are censored, and I don't think it's monitored that closely, and people certainly do it, but it is like, okay, well, I'm jeopardizing my ability to even have an account on this platform if I am doing this, so it's a risk. I just feel like a majority of grown men, partners, whatever, again, my experience is limited, but humans like are open to period sex, and I feel like they're turned on by it. Like, I mean, I personally enjoy it a lot, but I'm, it's shocking to me that it would be censored given the fact that it's, obviously, we're going to be advocates for it from from the kind of natural human experience, and, you know, it's cyclical and happens every fucking month. Exactly. But conversely, I think from a pure, like, pleasure perspective, it's kind of one of the best experiences. Mm. I just did a quick Google also about like the the blood aspect on OnlyFans and what's coming up also is fake blood still not allowed on OnlyFans? So it's not wow. even, it's like the implication, which is also like where we go back to the like blue cup of fluid being poured on the maxi pad, you know, like, <laughs> but you're really saying also like the the way that breaks down is like hey all these people who you know and not just OnlyFans creators you know strippers you know full service sex workers whatever uh, you know of course it's all different based on the context but it's also saying like you can't do your job during this you know three to seven days or however long your period lasts. Which which is kind of crazy when you think about it because this is all very natural shit this is things that happen, you know, with humans with vaginas. Yeah. This is real shit. This is what happens, right? And there's no reason for us to try to sugarcoat anything. And like literally on the on the theme of sugarcoating and and <laughs> and that's, you know, we should not be putting sugar anywhere near our vaginal openings. Yeast infection also alert for that. Yes. Um but I think what you're also making me think of is like the ways in which we mask the smells and tastes of our bodies as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, that's not to say that I'm not a fan of a flavored lube under certain circumstances or whatever, but right. like, we're also coming from a place where like, not all that long ago, people were using harsh cleaning chemicals vaginally. Yep. And the vagina is a self-cleaning organ. That doesn't mean you can't use whatever personal care products make your body feel great, you know? And can I say, just so that we're clear, the vagina is a self-cleaning oven. The vulva is not. Yes. You guys. Good distinction. The the vagina is a self-cleaning oven because the vagina is inside the body. It knows. It's intelligent, right? Your first order of business is to make sure that you're keeping your vulva clean, make sure you're drinking water, make sure, you know, you're, you're 
just doing all the things that you need to do to take care of yourself, right? But understand that the vagina is inside the body. There's been such a mis... I feel like the misconception is dying, though. Yeah. Because there's so many conversations that are happening. I feel like we're in like the time one. of the, yeah, like we're in the time of the vagina right now. Like, it, you know, like it, the vagina is like the new trend in a way, you know, <laughs> um, which, which is, which is silly, but, but, but I'm also grateful for that. Well, it certainly wasn't on trend uh, up until, you know, a couple decades, you know, Bitch, it wasn't on trend a couple years ago. <laughs> What you talking about? I mean, we, we talk <laughs> penis stuff from the beginning of time, you know? Like exactly. people have always understood the penis. Like that's why we do have to pay special attention and time and talk about it because like this is the part of the body where we actually c- can connect to another human, which is a which is some spiritual shit. I don't care what anybody says, right? This is the part of the body that's connecting you to someone else. This is the part of the body that you're interacting with multiple times a day when you go pee, you know, when you when you're getting physical, when you're having sex, when you're taking a shower, right? Like we're interacting with all of our parts of our body. But this particular part, it kind of has its own universe in a way. And that we can just talk about it like it's normal shit because it is. So, wow, we learned so much today, just as we were suspecting. Um, I think the biggest takeaway for me truly was this idea of a few things. It's like one, naming things what they are, which I know that you and I are such massive proponents of. And a lot of the work that we do at The Honeypot is really like creating that nomenclature, that language and that education around various parts of the vagina and vulva. I feel like we also learned that like the G spot and the prostate and areas like areas surrounding it are what ultimately get aroused. Yes. (laughs) So of course we talked about squirting. You know, it's just another level of pleasure, another level of satisfaction, you know, and I, and I think that it's really important that we allow ourselves you know, as humans to like feel all of what that feels like, you know, because I remember my first time. <laughs> Tell me more. I was <laughs> My first time ever doing that, I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Am I going to pee on myself? You know, and like, and like you're embarrassed because you don't want, you don't want the person that you're, that you're, that you're making love to or having sex with, or, you know, however you, however you put it. You know, there's a there's a shame aspect to it, you know, and so allowing yourself to feel and to go there, you know, because sometimes, too, when you're masturbating, you kind of stop when really there's like more to go, you know. It's so sad that in Western society, patriarchal, whatever the hell you want to define it as, that we're taught to truly, truly compartmentalize these things and that there's no symbiosis between these systems when really like everything is a system, everything communicates, which is a B. Dixon line. But like, <laughs> that's sad to me because we we haven't taught been taught to view things as you know, mechanically engineered mm-hmm. to speak to each other. And I think yeah. that a lot of Zoe's work is really like defined and punctuated by that. And I think that that makes her such an exceptional educator. I agree because it's all a part of the whole. And pun totally intended. We love the whole. Yes, we do. <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, I am just so happy we had not only this amazing conversation with Zoe Ligon, but that you and I were able to talk about our our, our squirting and our pleasures as well. Um, yes. But this has been so much fun. Uh, I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us on this episode. Uh, we hope our discussion, part one of the series about sex education and unlearning was super helpful. And stay tuned. Thanks for listening to The Honey Potluck, a podcast by The Honey Pot Company made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, B. Dixon. And I'm your co-host, Javon Alfieri. We're so grateful to have you here. We love you. Mean it. Thoughts and experiences recounted in this episode are hosts' own. Our producers are Alana Herlands and Nathan Tower. Laura Boyman is our associate producer. Sydney Evans is our dialogue editor and mixer. A major thank you to everyone who makes this podcast possible. 